Today on Ag News Daily. If they just raise it a bushel. Okay, if they raise it another bushel, let's say two, now your carryout's back to one four. But here's the thing. You've lost a crop from Brazil, which is normally around 110, is now down to around 85 million metric tons. Good afternoon and happy Market Monday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I woke up this morning and we were a little bit cooler here in Lubbock. I don't think we're expected to have any rains or anything from Hurricane Ida. A lot of the time, I mean, at least growing up, you know, I was in the Dallas area. So whenever it was hurricane season, we did get quite a bit of rain. But being all the way up here in Lubbock, I don't think we're going to see anything happen from Hurricane Ida. But I know that down in Louisiana, they have been hit pretty hard. Well, Ashton, you're right. We definitely are seeing a lot of the damage be in primarily the New Orleans slash Louisiana area, but I'm expecting to see some rains move northward as we continue to watch the progression here of the storms caused by the hurricane. And we're going to be doing a special update tomorrow in place of Tech Tuesday with Mike Steenhook, the executive director for the Soy Transportation Coalition. But, you know, as he mentions tomorrow this hurricane made landfall on Sunday evening or excuse me Sunday morning at 11:55 a.m. central time it started as a category 4 storm and that correlates to about 150 mile winds thankfully ashen we did see that start to pull back a little bit as it made landfall about 6:30 p.m. It weakened to a Category 3 as it approached New Orleans. But the big story right now is obviously the damage, which is going to take some time to assess. But the other portion of that is on Saturday evening, we saw the Coast Guard officially shut down any sort of vessel movement on the lower Mississippi River from basically the Gulf of Mexico to River Mile 303. So Any sort of exports, we're talking grains, we're talking meat, we're talking any sort of manufactured goods. All that stuff is shut down now until further notice. So talk about a supply chain issue. This is certainly going to cause one. Yeah, I was looking at the markets earlier, Delaney, and across the board, things were not looking so great. So I assume we'll get into talking about how this is going to Um, affect the markets later on. When we talk to Jim McCormick for Market Monday, you know, I don't have a whole lot of insight when it comes to the markets, definitely not as knowledgeable as you are, Delaney. So I might be wrong here, but I suspect that Hurricane Ida had something to do with how markets were playing out today. Well, that was definitely a portion of it, Ash. And we also enter into September's Futures First Notice Day today, which is another thing we're going to touch on with Jim here coming up in just a moment. But aside from that, Ash, what news have you been watching for today? Well, you know, kind of talking in this same vein when it comes to exports in and demand, I'm a little bit lighter on this piece of news here because the USDA is saying that this year and next year are looking to break records when it comes to U.S. ag exports. The agency is out with its new ag export forecast for both this year and for 2022, and it's showing that exports could hit over... $173 billion in 2021, which is $4 billion more than 2020. And experts are saying that it's due to higher livestock, poultry, and dairy exports. For 2022, exports values could reach $177.5 billion due to growth in dairy and poultry exports. 
a USDA economist is saying that this is really good because of domestic and export demand. And the U.S. will also be buying more foreign ag products, but the U.S. ag trade surplus is expected to continue to grow. So hopefully this, you know, we see this come to fruition, you know, with the remaining months of 2021 and into 2022. I don't know if you have any kind of insight or or words to say about that, Delaney. Well, I think the big question mark is just like events like today, you know, you I don't know that I would consider this necessarily a black swan event, but it's something similar to that where events happen. You know, we could never have predicted that Hurricane Ida was going to be this severe, that it would shut down shipments. Uh, So I think there are just wild cards like that that come to light that you really never know for sure. But it is definitely positive news to hear that come out of the USDA. I think the other big caveat you have to keep in mind, Ashton, is that as we continue to see market prices at these higher levels, that's not necessarily supportive for exports, especially if we do have a strengthening U.S. dollar. You know, if you compare our currency to other countries, the more it strengthens, uh, the more we see countries step back in purchasing and turn to partners where maybe their dollar goes a little bit further. But Ashton, to play off that piece of news here, you mentioned that a couple different industries have been adding to the USDA's new outlook for increased exports. And one of those pieces you mentioned there was protein. More specifically here, we've seen for the first six months of 2021 that fresh sales or new sales to China, Mexico, and Cuba have been supported in the export industry. More specifically, chicken and eggs are at a record pace. According to a new analysis released last week by the U.S. Poultry and Egg Export Council, they're expecting continued strong trade throughout the rest of the year. And so far, the U.S. has shipped about 1.9 million metric tons of broilers worth about 2.1 billion with a B dollars to foreign buyers from January through June of this year, which is a 6.8% increase. So, Ashton, I think that news does play nicely to talk about increased exports. And I do sure hope we have those continue to be at these nice pace here, these record paces, because that is certainly supportive for the ag industry as a whole. Well, Delaney, I've got some poultry news myself. More importantly, it's concerning Sanderson Farms. Earlier this month, Cargill and Continental Grain Company announced that they had entered into an agreement to acquire Sanderson Farms. You reported on that whenever that was first hitting the pipeline. But now we've seen that Minnesota Farmers Union is opposing Cargill's acquisition of the third largest poultry supplier in the U.S., President Gary Worstish says that MFU's full board voted against Cargill buying Sanderson Farms earlier this month because it would lead to further consolidation in the poultry industry, which has been a big topic, a big discussion, you know, not just in the poultry industry, but in the ag industry as a whole. And he was quoted as saying, the more consolidation we have, it's not necessarily good for the farmer and it's not necessarily good for the consumer either. It provides the farmer less choices on how he's involved in agriculture, whether he's an independent or marketing and his transparency to his markets. For consumers, consolidation means less choices at the meat counter 
And this is a, a, a big concern, you know, not just for MFU, but for everybody, according to Worstish. And I think that this is very interesting. I don't know, you know, how this acquisition is going to play out after this news is, you know, coming to the pipeline. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, where things go after this, but I definitely think that it's interesting. Ashton, I believe that also a thing to note here was Sanderson Farms. Mm, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm almost positive that that was one of the farms, too, that was included in included in the poultry price fixing scheme overall. I can't recall exactly, Delaney, but I, I think you're right. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as well with the new uh, acquisition merger there going on. I assume the new company would be held responsible for some of those, but it's always interesting to see how those things kind of filter through the system, you know, when that stuff happens, when burgers and acquisitions happen. But Ashton, switching tracks here just a little bit. On Friday, we were expecting to see the federal chair, Jerome Powell, make a big announcement related to inflation and interest rates. However, he said during a speech in Jackson Hole that he was not necessarily concerned as of yet and is easing tapering concerns, indicating that there's no rush to taper rates as of yet. He did acknowledge that contrary leanings by some of his board members by sounding unified with the comment that he agreed with the majority of them that a reduction in asset purchases, quote, could be appropriate this year, but he does not seem to be in a hurry to do so and showed even less enthusiasm for raising interest rates. He said that, the Delta variant of COVID-19 remains a risk, and he's going to be watching on ways to guard over, excuse me, guard against overreacting to what he continues to believe is transitory inflation. So interesting to see how we reacted there to that as well. And it might be another good point we ask Jim here on Markets coming up. Well, Delaney, speaking of this conversation that we're having with Jim, I'm, I'm ready to hop to it and see what happened with the markets because I'm all out of news. What about yourself? I had just one, two other pieces of news actually here quickly, Ashton. Going back to the demand story, I guess we've got a lot of stories related to demand today, but we saw another export sale, 256,000 tons of soybeans headed to China, which of course helps the demand story. This one is of being delivered here or being purchased for the 21-22 marketing year. And secondly, I think I mentioned this on the podcast last week, we saw CONAB, which is, of course, Brazil's private estimates agency, put out that they are expecting some pretty large soybean production for this next crop being planted here in just about two weeks. But we also saw as of today that corn plantings for their summer season are about 5.3% done as of the week of August 26th. That compares to about 4.1% from the week earlier and 8% for the year before. So planting is continuing to pick up some pace there in the country, but we'll continue to watch that story because as we've talked about before on the podcast, we're not out of the clear yet for Brazil and South America in general, as far as the weather forecast goes. And that could definitely play a hand here in their production overall for the season. Ashton, as you mentioned, we saw markets heavy today on news of first notice dates, on news of Hurricane Ida, and I'm sure there's other things that are going on that I'm sure Jim will fill us in on for today. But as I mentioned earlier, September is heading into the first notice date, 
And we saw a major sell-off there in the September contract, but we're going to skip right down here to talking new crop corn, because that is the other exciting thing is now our attention does turn solely to new crop contracts. December corn today closed down 11 cents to close at 542 and three quarters. The November soybean contract down 20 cents to close at 1303 and a quarter. In the wheat pits today, the Chicago September contract down nine cents to close at 723 and a half. And hopping over into livestock today, we saw some mixed trade in the cattle complex as the October live cattle contract shed 80 cents to close at 128.32 and a half. These down 65 cents to close at 134.67 and a half. And in feeder cattle today, strength as the October contract added 52.5 cents to close at 168.95. The November up 57.5 cents to end the day out at 170.52.5. Lean hogs pulled back today as the October contract ended out at $90.15, down 57.5 cents on the day. The Dees shed 32.5 cents to close at 82.72.5. And wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures, October today, adding 14 cents to close at 1668. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net and Jim Unfortunately, you got a tall order to fill today, making markets look attractive. We had a pretty major setback here across the corn and soybean markets. What was going on today? Well, a lot of it all has to do with kind of a change in psychology due to Hurricane Ida coming across the Gulf of Mexico and pretty much slamming Louisiana. Uh, going into last week, you saw a very tight situation in the old crop system, of the old crop cash grain system, that is. You saw basis bid 50 a dollar, dollar fifty over around the parts of the Midwest, as there was kind of a scramble to get the last of those bushels that have not been sold from the farmer versus trying to get the last bit of corn and beans shipped out of the Gulf of Mexico. So there was a battle for those final bushels as we wait for the final week, two weeks, three weeks to get into the harvest to really pick up steam. Well, when this hurricane ripped through, you've got all sorts of damage right now. Uh, Cargo is saying some of their, one of their facilities has twisted a partially collapsed grain conveyor system. So all of a sudden now, Delaney, instead of having competition of a river market versus river slash golf market versus, let's say, an ethanol market. At this point in time, you've lost that competition out of the golf. So the basis is kind of collapsing. And then all these traders that were long the September corn and September beans looking for maybe that one little last squeeze, uh, they just got kind of uh, pushed out due to the, you know, due to the hurricane. And then we saw very kind of run for cover today. The bull spreads collapse and they were bear spreading everything today. And uh, that's kind of what kind of what happened. Now, trying to get a little bit positive spin, at least on the December corn, it went down to kind of the trend line I've been watching. It's a trend line off of the lows made on the March quarterly grain stock report and the low made back there um, at the June, or excuse me, July WASDE number. That trend line, we've traded below it once last week, but closed back above it. Today, we hit it and bounced off of it. So the technical buyers did buy the dip, which is a little bit, at least somewhat positivity today. And Jim, there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm going to try to do my best to make sure we hit all of them. But first off, September futures, first notice date, we head into that. As you mentioned there, we saw a lot of guys got between their tails having long positions. Do we see that movement continue to happen this week? Have we seen folks get out of those positions? 
I think a lot got out today. I think if you look at the volume today, it was quite heavy. So I think a lot of those guys who were in it were out of it, were getting dumped out of it today with the market movement down. If you happen to be a producer who has old crop crane of uh, leftover that you have not sold, I I would say unfortunately the clock has struck 12, and I think this, the odds of a nice rebound are over with just because, like I said, there's just too much damage in the golf at this point in time. There's just no competition, and by the time that golf gets up and running to full steam, more likely we all have seen harvest started to pick up at full pace, and uh, you know there's going to be no demand for your old crop. So if you've got it and you plan on moving it before harvest, you probably need to get it moved ASAP. Well, Jim, the other part of that that I wanted to make sure we asked about here was basis, because we have seen basis throughout a big portion of the country, especially on the corn side of things, remain relatively strong heading into harvest here. I ha- I've got to be honest, I haven't checked basis uh, numbers for today across the country, but do you think we're going to see those weaken here pretty quickly because of this new Hurricane Ida activity? Yes, I think so. It's a combination, like I said, the lack of demand in the golf all of a sudden, as well as harvest picking up. There are some producers in central Illinois who are picking corn today. It isn't exactly dry. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's wet corn, but some of these ethanol plants are paying up to get them to go get to early stuff. But we've also heard parts of the, we have seen the basis drop 25 plus cents since Friday. So I would assume that basis would, which had been moving, is going to start to slide pretty quick. That's another reason at this point, if you've got grain and you need to move it here the next, you know, before harvest picks in, picks up in your area, I, I, you know, like I said, it looks like we've run out of time. And it's crazy to think that we're maybe a week, two weeks, three weeks away from majorly hitting harvest across a good portion of the United States. Jim, heading into harvest, probably I'm going to expect to see guessing we're going to see prices continue to remain deflated like this, but when and what is it going to take for us to get some sort of post-harvest pop here? Well, I think we're going to struggle a little bit near term. I mean, if you look at the December corn today, it settled at 42 and three quarters cent, a little bit below the 550 zone, but December corn has been pretty much been trading this 550 value for the last two months, pretty much the whole month of August and the whole month of July, and even into June for that matter. And that seems to be a little bit of value. And I think we could dip below it, kind of move back above it. But to get above, to really kind of break out of this range, there's one or, one or two things are a combination have got to happen. The first one potentially could just be the crop not there. As we get into harvest, it runs, wait a second, this crop is not as big as the USDA thinks. This heat did damage, uh, test weight's an issue potentially. Then the market will get sense that hey, we need to ration demand. The you know ration ration because we don't have a big enough supply. The other idea, Delaney, would be demand aspect. China was a huge buyer of corn at this time a year ago. They have not been that active recently. They were pretty big buyers early in the year. They backed off. There's some debate just like last year of how much corn is China going to buy. Um, you know, the government says they're going to import 19, 20 million metric tons of corn this year, this upcoming year compared to over 30 this past year. Um, I lean to think it's going to be higher than that. The commercial guys, uh, the cargoes, ADMs of the world say, hey, they think China's going to be in here. You know, what they've done last year was not a one-off. It's going to be a multiple years worth of demand as they try to rebuild their reserves as well as to feed the hole between what they produce and what they're consuming. So I think the demand's there, but we've got to see that right now. Um, the market, you know, we can talk the demand all we want and be like, I, you know, say, hey, I think it's there. But until it's there, the market wants to see it. I mean, the way the trade works right now, folks, it seems like is it wants to be- wait to what the government says, 
no matter if they think the government's wrong or right, and then they trade the number. Now, remember, a year ago, the government said the carryout was going to be essentially almost 2.8 billion bushels. As we wrap up the year, it's probably getting closer to 1.112. So they missed it by seven, 800 million bushels. It's the same thing on the export side, Delaney. A year ago, at this time, they said we're only going to export 2.1 billion bushels of corn. It's going to be closer to 2.7 when it's all said and done. So the question this year is, they've cut demand 360 million bushels projected this year compared to a year ago. And the question is, they missed it bad last year. Are they going to miss it bad again this year? My guess is they have, and this demand will increase, which is what you should be very positive about. Because even if this crop does get a little bit bigger, I think the demand is going to even offset any increase in the overall supply. And the net result is this carryout is going to continue to tighten. And without a big crop in Brazil or a big crop in the United States next year, we're probably set up for at least one more weather rally. Yeah. And I think the other big question mark, besides the demand picture, like you laid out there, that folks have the question mark next to is production. What are we going to actually see coming out of the United States this year? Because on the WASDE report, you know, dropping it by almost five bushels per acre seemed like just a really large jump. And I've gotten out and traveled a little bit, Jim, and I'm, I'm hearing a lot of mixed reviews from farmers about whether they agree with that number or not. What, what are you guys saying at agmarket.net? You know, I, I, we're kind of like you. I like by a lot of our customers out there, you know, ask me the hour and the day, I'll, I'll change my, my, my <laughs> viewpoint. I, I, but, you know, I lean to think it could get a little bit smaller when it's all said and done. I really do. I think it could shrink back a little bit. It's going to take time, though. Uh, we've got a report next week. But, you know, you know, if you look what they did a year ago, they raised that crop in August. And then between August and January, they took almost nine and a half bushels off the size of that crop. But they did it in steps throughout the year. And I kind of lean to think that's what's going to happen is it's going to take time. The other question, because that number that, that you're, you're mentioning, remember, that was a farmer survey. That wasn't weighted average. That wasn't weighing ears. That's not counting kernels and all that. That literally is getting the farmer's viewpoint. So that couldn't move around a little bit. But I lean to think it's not there. I'm going to get a little bit smaller. And I'm mostly doing that off of a lot of the, we get a lot of different advisory services or different researchers, pricing models or yield models. And I, I lean to think it's going to skew a little bit lower. But like, I'm going to stress this, Delaney, though. Let's say they raise the crop a bushel. Let's just say they do raise it a bushel, which means essentially you're going to add 84 million bushels to the carryout. So if you added 84 million bushels to the carryout by raising a national yield a bushel, you're going to go from essentially a 1242 crop carryout to a 1326 carryout if they just raise it a bushel. Okay, if they raise it another bushel, let's say two, now your carryout's back to 1-4. But here's the thing. You've lost a crop from Brazil, which is normally around 110, is now down to around 85 million metric tons. By all accounts, there's not enough corn to fill that void. You're talking four or 500 million bushels off the exportable supply situation in the world right now. So if the Brazilians don't have it, and we say we're not going to sell it to them, who's going to fill the void? There isn't anybody, we believe. So that's where that void is going to end up coming in. And that's why I think the demand on the exports will come back up. Now, if you just say, hey, look, let's bring it right back and put the demand at the exact same number it was a year ago. Your carryout is 1410 from revising the crop two bushels higher. If you lower the carry, excuse me, you raise demand by 360 million bushels, guess what your carryout is, Delaney? 1 billion, 50 million. 
carryout right now is projected at a 1-1. Mm. So essentially, the crop does get bigger. Demand just gets back to a more realistic number, and your carryout's actually still going to decline. And that's what's potentially very bullish about this situation. But the thing for a producer is, it is, I'm going to remind them, is it's going to take time, unfortunately. Right. It's not going to happen in September. It's not going to happen in October. They may not make these demand adjustments till heck, January. It may be March before they admit the size of the crop. Mm-hmm. So we just don't know. So patience is going to be a virtue. But it's a situation that even if the crop, like I said, does uptick a little bit, like I said, I think the real key is demand. I think it's way too low. And if only, Jim, everybody could have a little patience during harvest. They didn't sell right off the combines. We maybe wouldn't see prices get as deflated as they do. But every situation is different, I guess. So uh, I understand how that goes for farmers. But, Jim, I want to switch tracks here a little bit and talk about the live cattle market. Last week, uh, in the October contract, we saw it touch some fresh highs, you know, right around that 132 mark. We've pulled back since then. Is that it? Was that our high? I hope not. I mean, if you look at the October cattle, overall, it's trending in an upward trading channel. The middle of the channel is right around a, a, a buck, or we're right around 130. We're a little bit below that here today after kind of a kind of what was a false breakout. But I think the overall trend, the size of the cattle market is shrinking back. I think we're very current when it's all said and done. But, you know, the reality is right now, I think we're a little bit kind of a COVID pause. I mean, I think, in, you know, 60, 90 days ago, the U.S. was definitely much more optimistic about where we would be at in the fall basis of the COVID outbreak. And it felt like maybe we'd be back, quote unquote, back to normal. Obviously, we're not. Um, everyone is still struggling. Unfortunately, you've got hospitals that are being filled up. The deaths definitely aren't as bad as they were a year ago, but it's definitely have, it's kind of, kind of, kind of put a pause on the optimism right now. Airlines are reporting they're not as full for this last quarter of the year as what they were for this summer. You had, corporations, Fortune 500 corporations that were going to pull their employees, you know, back to the office. They've kind of backed that off a little bit. So I think the cattle market's doing the same situation. It kind of got excited about the demand for beef, beef, people going out to eat a little bit more back to normal. We're probably not quite there with the pandemic, but I think on the, the positive side of the situation for the cattle market or for the economy as a whole, with the vaccinations and where we're at in that, I think people are definitely, we're not going to see the economy shut down like it did a year ago. You know, if you look at it, the football fields are full of people here. They started, you know, started some of the football games this weekend. You're having crowds in the stadiums. The NFL's not going to have limits of people in the seat in the stadium like they did a year ago. So I think the overall economy is still overall well, but this cattle market's kind of like the grain market. It's just kind of stuck in neutral, you know, at a relatively decent price but it just can't get that, that, that final surge. But I think if the virus starts to wane a little bit, like some of the other countries did after they dealt with the Delta outbreak, they kind of went up and then came right back down quick. If we start seeing that Delta variant, you know, um, rates of cases start to slide back, I think that'll definitely be positive. And Jim, really quickly here, since we're talking about COVID-19, kind of the overall economy as a whole, on Friday, we saw the Fed Chair Jerome Powell issue some remarks that he wasn't looking to taper quite yet. What do you make of all of that? Well, I think there's, you know, the fact that the mayors are walking a very fine line at this point in time. A couple of years ago, they started talking about taper and the stock market just kind of puked all over itself, to be quite honest. No one really, everyone gets very, very nervous about it on the stock market because the one thing you got to remember is the stock market is not the economy. It is just something, it is kind of de- decoupled from the economy. 
when he's talking the tapering, he's buying bonds, billions of dollars worth of bonds. And that might, you know, if they back off that Delaney a little bit, I don't think it's going to be a huge impact. I think the thing that we need to look at is interest rates right now. I think the key to the way the economy liked it, what he said was he sees no reason to raise interest rates right now. If you start hearing him talk about raising interest rates, that means they're really worried about inflation. Now, inflation is running a little bit hot, but the GDP is running pretty hot as well, too. So as long as the GDP is running hotter, in essence, than inflation, we're okay. If that starts to turn where the inflation's running more than GDP, we've got a real big problem, and that's where they're going to raise interest rates. And that's not good for anything on the internet, you know, on the on the U.S. front, we've got so much debt, it's going to make it hard to service the debt. But on top of it, you've got the producers out there. If they start raising interest rates, you know, then all of a sudden it gets much more expensive to borrow for anything from seed to land to equipment. So it's something we need to keep an eye on. But the fact that he says right now is he thinks that, you know, where we're at, he doesn't feel the need to raise interest rates. That's probably a good sign for lower interest rates, at least for a while to go. Fantastic. Well, Jim, before we let you go, folks want to chat with you a little bit more, pick your brain. How can they get a hold of you? They can reach me directly at 815-665-0461 or they can reach any of the agmarket.net team members at 844-424-6758. Fantastic. Well, Jim, thanks again for coming on and chatting markets today. Certainly appreciate it. Well, thank you again for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on your show. Well, again, a big thank you there to Jim chatting markets with us today. Certainly a lot to talk about on this Monday afternoon, Ashton. And I'm guessing we're going to have more to talk about tomorrow as we see those crop progress report numbers coming out. Absolutely, Delaney. I am excited for all the conversation that we're going to be having this week. And hopefully our audience feels the same way. And hopefully they're tuning in at agnewsdaily.com to stay in tune with all that we have to talk about. And hopefully they're also following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.